But you never know what God's going to do. And as we close here, I'm not going to preach a whole sermon. Don't, don't, I'm not just getting my, I haven't been sitting here going, oh, I really need to get going. But to close with this verse found on the Sermon of the Mount, it's, it's told in Matthew chapter 7 and in Luke chapter 6. If you look at these two closings of what Jesus says, it's terribly convicting. I mean, if we're honest, if we come to it, it's, it's almost horrifying to look at it. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to hope, I just ask that the Lord would help us to see this. Father, we, do, um, we come before you and we pray that you would help us to understand your words here. Lord, we lay ourselves before you, and, and Lord, if you need a cut, cut. Uh, we thank you that as you cut us, as you convict us, Lord, that your spirit heals us, that you change us, and you move us closer to you. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. And so in Matthew's account, Matthew and Luke kind of give different vantage points of this. Jesus spoke this, but each of these authors has their aim that they're trying to achieve. Matthew, the whole gospel of Matthew is to show that Jesus is indeed the Messiah of the Jewish people, that he's been promised. So he's showing prophecy, showing everything and how Jesus fulfills it. And so his account of this part, he records sort of like the eternal significance of this part of the sermon. Luke, on the other hand, sort of doesn't focus so much on the prophetic future end time sort of stuff, but on the how does this apply day to day? Like how is this significant to one who is already a believer? But Matthew writes in verse 21 of chapter 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That's kind of horrifying. Like, just if we're going to be transparent here. Like, as a Christian, reading this, Jesus says, those who were casting out demons, performing miracles in your name, and he says, depart from me, I never knew you. That, that's kind of scary. And I, to, I totally believe in assurance of salvation, that once a person saved, you're always saved, that Christ, Christ paid it all. It's his work that saves us. Our work won't lose our, like we don't lose our salvation just as much as we don't earn our salvation. But there's this idea in talking with Anna who grew up as a missionary kid, as a pastor kid, grew up in a church. And she's like, you know, this kind of, this verse really like kept me awake at night for months when I was like 11, 12. And there's a certain sense that I hope that those kids in our church, the young people or adults who grew up in the church Kind of think, well, I go to church on Sunday. I grew, was raised in a Christian home. I'm good to go. It's clear. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 that you are dead in your trespasses and sins. Jesus' work on the cross, he loved us so much that he died for us. And we're saved by grace through, like, through faith in him alone. There's no works, nothing. And I'm not trying to unravel that. But in my own life, even in the last two weeks or three weeks with all this immediate attention, there's been some, in my own family, some 
tension. Because there are family members that I don't identify as being Christian. One of them is my mom. My ex-stepmom who is active like is my mom. But it's a, that's a whole other story. And she's like, Gunnar, how can you say you weren't raised in a Christian home? We went to church. Like I took you to church like on Sundays. And I was like, oh, I'm not trying to like, I wasn't trying to like be, like I was thankful for what you did. But my understanding back then, like there was mass confusion. I kind of thought because I went to church and I was American, I was Christian. And then it wasn't until later in my, like when I was 22, I, I got in a little resisting, evading arrest kind of as a new seal. My whole world sort of collapsed on me and I started going to church and I started like figuring things out. And one night after Bible study, one of my seal buddies came up to me and said, hey man, how's, how's your relationship with Christ? See, and I, I'm a social chameleon. I knew the right answer was to say, good man, good. We go to like I'm thinking I go to church I'm here like it's a Tuesday night and I'm at Bible study and I'm going on Sundays now but when he asked that question it caused me to ponder like well wait a minute what is being a Christian like the, and Jesus says I never knew you it's not about like your like your works being raised in a good Jewish home or a good Christian home he says I never knew you and there's this, by, by faith coming to Christ, by, by acknowledging who he is, that there's this relationship that's established when you believe that you're sealed in the spirit. And so the first thing when I look at this today, if you're here and you're not certain that you know Christ, it's as simple as believing. Praying, he wants dialogue with us. He cares more about our relationship with him than what we do for him. But then we look at the gospel of Luke. And I'm going to go over there now. And he kind of says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? There's kind of like this total tension. Like Matthew to the Jewish audience says, you do all of this stuff in my name. You're doing miracles. You're doing stuff. And when you stand before me on the judgment day, you're going to say, oh, didn't we know? Like we did all this stuff in your name. He said, "Get depart from me. I never knew you. And now Luke sort of, his account of recalling the section of that he highlights is Jesus saying, you know, you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say. And see, these aren't contradicting one another. There's a tension. There's a battlefield in our lives and it's in our heart. And so that's why as humans, we can't tell what's going on. Like, I can't look at you. I can tell profession matters. Like, if you say, yes, I trust in Christ, like there's importance there. But kind of like the thing, I kind of am a, I cut against the grain in the Southern Baptist sort of culture in, in probably more than a couple ways, but one way that I really, like more than anything that I really have a hard time with is when groups start saying, we had 17,123 professions of faith at this outreach we did at the stadium last night. It's like, like, you just flew to some country, you don't know any of these people, and they gave you your notch on the belt. How do you know, like, how do you know that there truly is a convert? And so I don't do a whole lot of like the walk in the aisles because I would rather God kind of, like I think profession of faith is important. I think that the walk in the aisle, I think that's baptism. But then we look at like the gospel of James and we look here and there's like this whole idea of, well then once you've professed and once you've trusted in Christ, you should start to bear fruit. You should see fruit. And the battlefield is in our heart. 
And this is why I can't, well, well, like there's evidence of being a Christian. But is, you, is this like you're trying to do good works and you're putting on a good show? There's plenty of religious groups, even under the banner of Christianity, that are all about legalism. And you do this and then you're good with God. But the condition of the heart, do you know, really know Christ? It's missed. And on the other extreme, there's like, oh, man, it's all about like just trust in Christ and that you can be a total like continue your life in drugs and adultery and all kinds of horrible stuff and you're good to go. Well, I see plenty of stuff in the scripture that makes me kind of concerned. And I heard it years ago that if, hey, if you got saved and nothing happened, well, maybe nothing happened. And I'm not preaching at you. This is from my heart. It's almost this morning looking at this, doing the math in my own life. In 1996, when I became a Christian, when that guy had a talk with me and through like from 1995 to 1996 ish, somewhere in there, I think I became a Christian. And I know in October of 1996, I realized that I wanted to know what God wanted me to do. And so I said, I'm just going to buy a Bible and I'm going to read through it and then I'll figure it all out. 1996. By, I wrote down the date here. It was May, check this out, May 19th through the 21st of 2000. This is 11 years ago, almost today. Like I'm thinking, what was this church thinking? Calling me as a pastor seven years to the day from this incident. And then Anna looks at me this morning and she's like, what was I thinking? Like married? You like that close to the incident. You didn't know. Because I met her at a Bible study after an incident that God used to convict me. It's May of May 19th. It's a Friday night, 2000. Drunk in a seal bar. Like it's kind of a blur. Somehow, in that moment, with my friend who is from Atlanta, a fellow SEAL, we look up at the TV and we see that the Padres are playing the Braves in Atlanta. We were able to buy tickets to get to Atlanta. So we, like somewhere that night we ended up, I woke up in Atlanta the next day, still drinking away. Yeah, 11 years ago from today, I'm your pastor. You know, this is hilarious. <laughs> praise the lord thank you but it's i mean when i look back at god's mercy and grace in my life it's overwhelming and so there i drank and i was going to church i mean i was faithful every sunday night i was there i was really like growing i was reading the bible that i started in 96 took me about three years to get through it i just finished the bible and then by by Saturday, by Sunday, Saturday night, Sunday morning, I just couldn't drink anymore. I was like, I was getting so convicted, like, what am I doing? I had to sober up by the time our flight lands in San Diego so I can make it to church Sunday night. And I'm feeling really bad about this point. But now I'm in Atlanta. My friend who's not a Christian is still going to town. After the Padres lose the two games that we're out there for, we get in the plane and my friend continues to drink the whole way across the country. And then behind us, like I didn't really look, but I was in the probably the back three quarters of the plane for the last section of the plane was a whole church group coming out to San Diego for a mission trip. Right behind me was the pastor talking to a girl and all they're talking about Christ. And I'm going, oh, man. And then my friend is, oh, obnoxious drunk. This was before 9-11. So you could get away with a lot more. He hears them and he's getting belligerent against Christianity. 
And I'm going, okay, I had a book. And I remember going, and I got to just pretend like I'm reading the book. But he's so obnoxious that I can't focus. I'm like, okay, this isn't working. I'm going to pretend like I'm asleep. And so I, I pretend like I'm asleep and I'm praying, Lord, can he just pass out? And at this point, I hear him on my behalf with the, the, the flight attendant ordering more drinks for me that he was drinking. And he's now screaming on the plane stuff to offend the Christians. And I'm like, he finally, I think, went to sleep or I like maybe I like knocked myself out somehow. We land in San Diego and we get off the plane and the group is going and he is irate. He's like, if I hear them say Jesus one more time, I'm going to punch him in the face. And I'm like, man, I'm like, you're starting to offend me now. And this was like my best friend in the whole world. And he looked at me, he's Gunner, I believe just like you that there's a God, but this whole Jesus thing's out of control. And at that moment, it was like a knife right through my heart and twisting. Here's my best friend in the whole wide world, and he doesn't even know that I've been like going to church, I trusted in Christ, that I'm a Christian now. And these words, like they didn't come to me, but this is essentially what God said to me. He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? And I remember going home that night, like praying, like almost like throwing in the towel to God, saying, I can't do this anymore. I can't, like I, like I remember like in my mind, hold on, like I want all this stuff. I believe that what you say is true, but it ain't working in my life. And I need you to help me. And it was like, that was the moment that like, I didn't know then, but over the series of the next few months, he totally is like, okay, you need to dig in. Then I found myself going to Bible college correspondence through Moody Bible Institute. And it was terribly like, why do you call me Lord? Yet in your life, you don't like, like you don't like follow through with it. You don't, I'm not Lord of your life. You profess me as Lord. And I'm not saying I've mastered this at all. Like I've made leaps and bounds, but I still struggle. Like I had to apologize to Anna just yesterday. Like I'm out weed whacking and she said she'd bring me a glass of water and she didn't bring me a glass of water and I get all mad and I'm like, where's my water? Why didn't you bring me water? You want me to die out here weed whacking? It's like 100 degrees and I haven't weed whacked in like a month so I'm like cutting down trees with a weed whacker. <laughs> and why do you call me Lord, Lord and not do what I say? And then I've gotten really good, and Anna would agree to this, that in the course of nine years of marriage, I've gotten good after like, you know, like now it was like an hour later, maybe two hours later, say, Anna, I was a total jerk, and I was wrong for doing that. Like, I'm sorry, that's not how God wants me to treat you. That's my sinfulness inside. And he wants us to realize that he, want, he like wants all of us. And I love the illustration that he gives, because like I do so much better with pictures and he says, everyone who comes to me and hears my word and acts on them, I'll show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when the flood occurred, the torrent burst against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who heard has heard and not acted accordingly is like a man who built a house on the ground without any foundation. And the torrent burst against it and immediately it collapsed. And the ruin of the house was great. He gives this picture. I'm no construction guy. I am horrible at construction. I'm horrible at fixing it. I've gotten a lot better. 
But the reason I'm so bad at construction is because I'm ultimately lazy. Like, seriously. If it comes to, like, building anything, like, the foundation is, like, the most important part. I'm horrible at painting because I look at a wall and I think, man, I really need to, like, sand that down, clean it off, get it all prepared, and then paint it. I think, I'll just use a little extra paint and just cover it all up. See, I do that. I want to lay grass in my front yard. Well, you're supposed to, like, churn up the soil, use Roundup, kill it all down, get a good, solid base. (laughs) That would be a lot of work. So I just throw some grass seed and think, the one that falls in good soil will go. The one that falls in bad soil will, like, go. That's why I have, like, green weeds in the front of my yard that I call grass. Like, I don't know much about building a house, but, like, the whole laying of foundation, like, there's a whole lot that gets, goes involved. Like, they're building this new Costco. It's taken forever. If you shop at Costco, you're like, forever. Like, I don't even see anything until, like, two weeks ago. Now I see a frame going up on the freeway. If I was the project manager, I'd go, you guys are taking entirely too long on the ground. Just start, let's start building. And we all laugh because it won't hold up. It'll be destroyed. And, G- and, and w- I didn't want to be a Christian because it was just no fun. God just wants to take away all my fun and I want to have fun. But the reality is, is he wanted to show me how to live so that I could have true joy and peace and endure the storms that life is going to throw. And so he says, listen, the guy, the people who hear my word, And start acting on my word, start applying in their lives the things I say. You're going to have a strong house. You're going to get through this life a whole lot more graceful. And I don't want you to see that, like, like, before we take communion, like, I don't want you guys to start thinking, oh, man, my life's a total mess. Like, where do I start? Like, maybe I hit somebody on the head that just flew to... Atlanta last night, and they just got back from watching the... No, well, the Padres are in town, so it's not that. But this was, like, my life. And I noticed, like, in that... Like, in my desire of moving forward, it was, like, baby steps. For those of you that like the movie, What About Bob? Baby steps. It's like, Gunnar, you've got to cut this out in your life. Drinking. Okay, Lord, I'm going to do everything I can do, and I'm going to respond to this. Then I got through the whole drinking thing. Then it was, like... Okay, now we need to move on to the next item, Gunner. We're going to move on to this. The, now he's still working. Like, it's still today. Gunner, we're going to do this. And I can either say, I'm just going to go preach and deal with it on Sunday, and we'll just move on. He says, no, I want you to deal with your own life. And so I don't know what areas that God's working on you right now. And I guarantee as long as you're here today, he's, he's still working on you because you don't have your glorified body yet. You're not free of sin and stain. We all are kind of, God's doing something. And he's saying, you call me Lord. Like first, have you trusted him as for salvation? Are you a Christian? Ephesians 1 makes it simple. Once you've heard the gospel that Jesus died, he was buried, he rose again on the third day. After hearing that and you believed, at that moment you become a Christian. We're told that the spirit comes and seals you. So have you trusted in Christ as your savior? Second, if you've trusted in Christ, are you coming to church? Are you going to like Awanas and memorizing all these verses and you can do all this stuff? But you haven't like applied it to your own life to say, you know what? Your Lord, 
And all these verses that I've memorized are the things I know. Like, I actually have to commit myself to, like, applying that. And then when you get there, you're going to realize, like, the whole deal is, you're going to be on your knees saying, Lord, I need help. I need help. Lord, help me to be humble. And so I'm going to close in prayer. We're going to sing a couple songs. During this next song, when you're ready, take some time to just talk to God. Then when you're ready, come up and get your own elements for communion. If you need help, tap the person next to you. They'll help you get your whatever you need. And then when you go back, just take communion on your own. And then we'll stand and we'll sing a last song. So let's pray. Um, Father, we do thank you and praise you, Lord, for the work um, that you've done on our behalf. Lord, I thank you that you loved us so much that all the way back in Genesis 3, you promised that Jesus would come to pay for our sin, to bring us back into relationship with you. Lord, I pray for those here that maybe haven't trusted in you for salvation. I pray, Lord, that you would help them in their walk with you, Lord, to connect the dots, that they can make the next step, Lord, of trusting in you, and Father, for those of us who have trusted, Lord, we just confess our sin to you, Lord. We thank you that you're a God of grace and mercy and that, Lord, in confessing, you make us righteous before you. Father, we pray that you would help us to be sensitive to your spirit that's within us. And Lord, as you convict us, we pray, Lord, that you would break us of our stubbornness, Lord, break us of our habits, break us of the things that are holding us back from growing with you. Father, we thank you that you spoke your word to us so that we can have solid lives before you, that we can endure the storms of life. So, Father, as we take communion today, Lord, we come back and we realize that, Lord, that Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. And, Father, we pray that, um, that as we reflect on the gospel, Lord, that you would continue to do the work that you started in our lives. Lord, we desire to be transformed people transform our lives, transform our marriages, transform our relationships with our brothers and sisters and parents and children, our co-workers, Lord, our community. Father, help us to be a light for you. We love you, Lord. We praise you and we ask this in Christ's good name. Amen.